Hello and welcome to another episode of Secondhand Stories. This is a place where I tell you stories. What kind? Well, histories, mysteries and unbelievistries. Today's story is pretty much an unbelievistry. As you hear it, you will realize why I have classified it as that. And truly, while I was researching this and writing it, it was as unbelievable and interesting as a story can get. And here is how our story starts. So our story is set in the 1930s in a place called the Bronx in New York, America. Now, the 1930s in America was a bleak time and place to be. And it was bleak for two reasons. One was something called the Great Depression. As the name suggests, it was a severe economic downturn that took place all over the world, but it had massive, massive impacts in America. In fact, unemployment at this time in the Bronx in New York was so high, it was about nearly 50% and people were desperate, looking for any way that they could make a little money. The second reason why it was such a bleak time was because of a thing called the Prohibition. Now, the Prohibition was basically uh, a period from the 1920s to 1930s, like the early 1930s, where alcohol was banned in the United States of America. Now, anytime you ban any product, what that means is that there will be a black market that will emerge to cater to that particular product. Now, the selling, the manufacture and even the transport of alcohol was prohibited. And what that meant was that there were certain very shady establishments that popped up. Now, these bars were called speakeasies. The reason they were called speakeasies was because the bartenders told you to speak easy because if you didn't, then the police would hear you. So that was the whole idea. And these speakeasies were extremely shady places because they were obviously selling contraband at the time. And as this story starts, we are in one particular speakeasy in the Bronx called Marino's. Now, this speakeasy is sandwiched between shops. It looks derelict. It looks like it's not even open for business. But if you were a regular, you would know that you could just open the back door and you would enter into a busy establishment. This place was very tiny. It had like a sofa, four tables and along one wall there was a bar. And obviously behind the bar there was a good supply of whiskey. Now as our story opens, we are in this speakeasy on this one particular night and there are four people sitting at a table playing cards. The four people are these guys. There is Tony Marino who is the owner of this bar. There is his bartender, a man called Red Murphy. There is a local funeral home director. His name was Francis Pasqua. And 
a fruit vendor who had a shop just a little bit down the road from this speakeasy, a man called Daniel Kreisberg, is also seated with these men. Now the men are playing cards and the times being what they are, eventually conversation turns to money. Everyone is going through hardships of an economic nature and they talk about money and they, they have this wishful thinking going on where they wonder how they could make a windfall. Now one of the men jokingly says, you know what we need? We need either a wealthy relative or a relative who's dying but has a really good insurance policy. Now this is a joke but it sets off something in the mind of Tony Marino. He starts thinking, you know what, we don't have a relative who's dying and has a good insurance policy, but what if we could find a person who was like this, a person who people would not miss, a person we could take a life insurance policy on, a person who society would be better off without, maybe someone who frequents a bar like mine. So they've decided that they're going to commit insurance fraud. And as this idea starts taking shape on this table, suddenly, all four of them realize that there is a person in this bar who's snoring off a frightful bender. They all turn and look and they see a figure who's slumped at the bar, a figure who's a regular at this place. And suddenly they decide that maybe this guy could be the very victim that they're looking for. Now, the four of them decide that they're going to commit insurance fraud and they're going to make this man at the bar their victim. But little did they know that the man that they've chosen was going to be the worst possible person to pick for a fraud like this. Because the man that they have chosen is a man called Michael Malloy. So Michael Malloy was born in Ireland and he makes his way to New York at some point. He had a past where he worked as a firefighter. But in 1932, when our story takes place, you would not know it. Because at this particular point in time, this Mike Malloy is about 60 years old. He's homeless. He's an alcoholic. He does odd jobs around the city, even collecting garbage, and he's happy to be paid in alcohol instead of money. Because whatever little money he does make, he eventually spends it on alcohol anyway. He's been a regular at Marino's Speakeasy, and he drinks a lot. He's got an unquenchable thirst for liquor, but he pays irregularly. This is one of the reasons that the four men who the press would later dub as the Murder Trust. This is one of the reasons that they have picked Mike Malloy. Because the four of them kind of figure out that he's drinking so heavily that maybe if they just encourage this habit a little more, just accelerate his drinking, give him a few more nights of heavy drinking, maybe he'll kick the bucket himself. So here's what they do. They start on this plan. First, Francis Pasqua, the local funeral home director, he sets about getting these policies in place. What he does is that he goes from agent to agent looking for someone who's willing to take out the shady policy. Eventually, he does find agents who are crooked enough and takes out not one, but three policies on the name of Michael Malloy. 
Now, obviously, the question is, how do you get him to sign it? Well, that wouldn't be a problem because here's what they do. The four of them, they meet Mike Malloy at the speakeasy. They get him liquored up. They're all chummy and pally with him. And then Tony Marino tells him, look, Mike, I'm going to be standing for a local election and I'd like you to sign a petition for me. Now, Michael Malloy, drunk and a little cajoled, he doesn't think too much about it and unwittingly signs these papers. Obviously, these papers aren't petitions for an election that Tony Marino is standing for. They are the three insurance policies. Little does Mike Malloy know that he has signed away his life. Once they have gotten these insurance policies in place, the murder trust begin the second part of this plan and the more dastardly part, the part of actually doing Mike Malloy in. Now, here's what they do. They get Mike Malloy back into the speakeasy and Tony Marino goes up to him and he says, you know what, business has been very tough. The bars in the neighborhood, they're giving me a stiff competition. So what I've decided to do is that I've decided to give regulars such as yourself an unlimited tab. So you can have all the liquor you want and you can pay whenever you like. Mike Malloy, his eyes go wide. He's thrilled. He's never been offered an unlimited tab before. And he dives into it. He immediately gets a glass and asks them to pour. And Tony Marino readily does it. Right? So Mike Malloy has a shot. And immediately before his glass is even set down, Tony Marino fills it back up. And Mike Malloy again downs it. And he has one and another and another. It gets to the point where he's drinking so much that Tony Marino's hand is hurting holding the bottle. Right? So this guy finishes all his drinks and finally he runs one dirty sleeve across his mouth and he thanks Tony Marino and the boys for the drinks. He totters out of the bar and he says, I'll be back tomorrow. And true to his word, in 24 hours, he's back. And he's back thirstier than ever. Over the next few days, they keep pouring him drinks and he keeps having them as fast as they can pour it. Right At the end of the fourth day, they're assuming that he's going to be worse for wear. That some of this alcohol is going to have an effect on him. But they would be wrong. It almost looks like he's healthier than before. He comes in glowing. And he comes in on the fourth day saying, Boy, ain't I got a thirst. Now, Tony Marino is a little worried because over these days, he's spent so much on the alcohol that it's costing him. So he decides that they've got to try something else because this is not going to be financially prudent. He's going to lose more money giving this man alcohol than they would get from the insurance payouts. So they decide to accelerate this process. Here's what they do. Mike Malloy is in the bar and the bartender, Red Murphy, he gives him a few whiskeys. Once the whiskeys are over, Red Murphy tells Mike Malloy that, Mike, we've got some new stuff. Would you like to try it? Mike Malloy, always up for new stuff, says, of course. Now he's given a drink. He chugs it down and he says, it's really smooth. And as he says that, he crumples to the floor. 
the reason he's crumpled to the floor is because the new stuff wasn't really a new brand of alcohol it was actually wood alcohol wood alcohol is also known as methanol it is not supposed to be drunk by humans it's used as a solvent it's used as fuel it's used as antifreeze in cars and they've given him a whole lot of it to drink to tell you how dangerous this methanol is it takes about 60 ml to 240 ml to kill a person they give it to him and he crumples to the floor and there is silence in the speakeasy because the men have realized that they've probably succeeded the four men stand up and they stand over the body of mike maloy none of them are talking as they stare at this man then francis pasqua bends down and he checks for a pulse the pulse is faint and it's getting fainter his breath is slowing down they realize that this could finally be it so they drag his body behind the bar and they wait for the end to come now as they're waiting they can hear his breath and suddenly after a while they hear this sharp jagged breath and they go like okay maybe that's it that's the final breath they go up to him and they realize that mike maloy has started snoring and hour later he wakes up rubs his eyes groggily and he says give me some of the old regular stuff me lads methanol doesn't do a thing over the next few days they have given him one glass after another of methanol and he's had it like it's glasses of water now the alcohol is not affecting him so they decide maybe it's time to try with food now francis pasqua has heard this rumor that raw oysters if had improperly could kill a man so what they do is that they soak these raw oysters in methanol and the next time mike maloy comes in they tell him that we've changed up the menu would you like to try it now mike maloy is thrilled is like first free alcohol now free food of course bring it on and so they do they give him the oysters and they watch as he eats them he eats one he eats another and eventually finishes two dozen raw oysters soaked in methanol he enjoys it so much that he tells tony marino that he should start a restaurant <laughs> now red murphy cannot believe it he says let me try so what red murphy does is that he makes him a sandwich now this is no regular sandwich all right what red murphy has made is essentially the most deadly sandwich you could ever make in this sandwich he's put rotten sardines and if that wasn't enough he's filled it with shavings and shrapnel he's taken tin shavings and carpet tacks and he's placed it in between rotten sardines and two slices of bread he then gives it to mike maloy now the men are playing cards and they're waiting this has to do it right as soon as this man eats the sandwich the shrapnel 
will go through his organs and rip them to shreds and they wait but instead he scarfs down the sandwich and asks for another nothing seems to hurt the unkillable bike maloy now they've tried poison they've tried food now they decide maybe it's time for something else so here's what they do mike maloy comes in and they get him drunk he's drunk to the point of passing out and as soon as he passes out they dump him in a car and they drive him to a public park they then take him out they drag his body through the snow they put him on a park bench now on the park bench they take off his shirt and they douse him in water okay cold water that's being poured on his chest and his head now it's winter in new york there's snow all around icy winds are whipping through the city they figure that what the poison couldn't do the sub zero temperatures would probably accomplish now they've left him there and they leave the next evening though the doors of marino's speakeasy swing open and in walks mike maloy wearing a brand new suit he sits down and he has quite the story to tell them he says that i had a very rough night the last night i got so drunk that somehow i found myself in a public park without my shirt on thankfully a policeman found me and he took me to a local shelter and the shelter were nice enough to give me this brand new suit and now he comes in asking for more liquor from his unlimited tab now the murder trust they've had it at this point it's not even about killing him for profit now it's about killing him for pride because his mere existence seems to be mocking them so they first try to hire a hitman but when the hitman tells them his charges they say it's too expensive so instead they go with something cheaper now they don't want to try any of these subtle methods anymore they want something direct and they want something blunt and they want something that will definitely do the job so here's what they do they get in touch with a cab driver a man who was going to be as unscrupulous as they are this man's name is harry green now harry green agrees to be part of this conspiracy for 150 dollars and here's his part in the conspiracy he has to hit mike maloy with his cab and hit him in a way that mike maloy succumbs once and for all harry green agrees so the men set about executing this plan mike maloy stumbles into the bar and as usual he's given his fix of whiskey upon whiskey upon whiskey as usual eventually the alcohol gets to him and he passes out once he's passed out the men take his unconscious body dump him into harry green's taxi cab and then the cab goes to a rather isolated spot now in this isolated spot two men hold mike maloy hold him up like a scarecrow harry green takes his cab and backs up two blocks he then revs the engine and comes charging full tilt at mike maloy 
and Mike Malloy jumps out of the way. Not once, but twice. Now the third time, the men hold on to him harder and for longer. And Harry Green backs the cab back up two blocks. And then he comes charging back at Mike Malloy. Now you can imagine what Harry Green must have gone through. The first two attempts, he must have been nervous. By the third attempt, the nervousness has given way to determination. He is holding on tight to the steering wheel. He's pressed down on the pedal. He can see Mike Malloy in the glare of his headlights. And then the men leave him and he braces for impact as his cab crack hits Mike Malloy. It's a ugly sound as the metal breaks into a body. And like a rag doll, Mike Malloy is flung away from the spot and he crumples onto the sidewalk. Now as this happens, the men are certain that at the speed with which he was hit, Mike Malloy is probably done for. So they flee from the scene of the crime, leaving Mike Malloy's body behind for people to find. Now over the next few days, the murder trust would frantically and anxiously scan through the newspapers looking for news of an anonymous drunk who was found dead in a road accident. And try as they might, paper after paper, there is no news of Mike Malloy. Now, Francis Pasqua pretends to be looking for his brother and goes through different hospitals. But in none of the hospitals can he find any patient called Mike Malloy. Now this is a bad situation for the murder trust because without a body, without knowing what's happened to him, they can't collect on the money. So in desperation, these very, very insidious men decide that they'll try to kill another person and pass him off as Mike Malloy. This plan also fails. And then, a few weeks later, the doors swing open. And in limps, Mike Malloy. He's bandaged, he's limping, and he comes in saying, I sure am dying for a drink. He sits down and he relays his fate to the very men that had fixed it. He has quite the story to tell. He says that, the last few things I remember were that I was at this bar. I got very drunk, really drunk. And then the next thing I remember is that there was this cold winter air on my body. And then the glare of headlights. And the next thing I remember is waking up in this incredibly comfortable bed in a hospital. Someone had brought me there. And because they didn't have my name, they had signed me in under a false name. Which is why none of the murder trust could find him. Now, he had stayed in this hospital until he recovered. He had a fractured skull and broken bones. But the only thing he really wanted was to get back to the bar and have a few drinks. And now he was living his dream. Now you can imagine what must have happened to the murder trust. Their eyes must have widened. Their jaw must have dropped. These men couldn't believe it. 
over the months they had tried several times to do him in but time after time attempt after attempt mike malloy just refused to stay down now it was it was getting too much for them right in february of 1933 frustrated and fatigued these men attempt to kill him one more time and here's how they do it Francis Pasqua and Daniel Kreisberg the funeral home director and the fruit vendor they pose as factory workers and they get a room they rent a room in a boarding house nearby and then they execute the second half of their plan on 22nd February of 1933 Michael Malloy finds himself at the speakeasy and you can imagine what it must have been like for him on this one particular night right he's come in looking for a drink he sits down with who he thinks are his only friends in the world friends who he at this point thinks are good natured and kindly kind enough to give him company as he wets his tongue with whiskey you can imagine the warmth that must have started flooding his body as the alcohol goes in you can imagine the way that his senses must have started swirling as the alcohol kicks in and then his senses leaving him as his eyes start shutting as the world fades from his eyes as mike malloy slumps down at the bar the murder trust swing into action they take him to the room they lay him on the bed and they shut the door behind them and then they act frantically they act fast they take a towel and they cover his face covering his nose and his mouth they then attach a hose to a gas valve and stick one end of it into his mouth and then they switch on the valve the gas hisses through this tube and enters mike malloy's body over 7 months they have made all of these attempts what alcohol couldn't do what methanol couldn't do what raw oysters and a shrapnel sandwich and the elements and an automobile hitting him what none of these could accomplish eventually carbon monoxide does mike malloy his lungs filled with carbon monoxide eventually passes away on feb 22nd 1933 Now with him finally finally dead the murder trust act quickly Here's what they do they immediately get a doctor who they bribe to give a fake death certificate In the death certificate he writes that this man died of methanol poisoning Francis Pasqua being a funeral home director immediately gets a $12 cheap coffin puts mike malloy's body in it and he buries him in the ground and they immediately begin collecting on their insurance policies one policy hands over the money without questions the second policy however the agent is a little suspicious when he asks to see the body he is informed that the body has already been buried now this is too fast for this insurance agent and he senses that something might be a miss 
he starts looking into the matter and all the cast of characters that he finds over here none of them seem reputable this leads to an investigation and eventually the police are brought in now when the police start looking into the matter they don't have to look too hard because all across the bars in the bronx there have been rumors of the unkillable mike malloy the rasputin of the bronx the man who would not die despite several several attempts on his life soon people start speaking there's a lot of people who are disgruntled because they've not gotten a fair share of their cut and eventually the police round up the gang they were arrested tony marino they were arrested red murphy his bartender francis pasqua the funeral home director daniel kreisberg the fruit vendor harry green the taxi cab driver and finally the doctor who signed this fake death certificate the case is looked into and mike malloy's body is exhumed forensics find carbon monoxide lethal amounts in his body this goes against everything that the men were saying eventually harry green and the doctor were sentenced to jail terms but the four main conspirators they were sentenced to death tony marino red murphy francis pasqua and daniel kreisberg all are sent to the electric chair one by one they are strapped in to this chair and 2000 volts of electricity course through their bodies not once but three times and unlike mike malloy not a single one of them would survive the predicament even once and that's the story of the unkillable mike malloy so that's the story i hope you enjoyed it if you did then please leave a like and a comment if there are other unbelievable stories like this one then please leave them in the comment section below i would be happy to cover them uh, in addition every single episode of second hand stories is shot in front of a live audience these are people who have survived multiple attempts at storytelling truly veterans if you too would like to be a part of this group and come for the live recordings all you have to do is become a member of the channel that's it from this episode i hope you uh, enjoyed it if you did then also please tell a lot of folks and hit the bell icon because youtube is a big place and i don't want these videos to be lost until next time take care and bye bye